joined by no other than Blagoja Golubovsky, uh, a VP of product at visit.org. Uh, it's a SaaS platform for employee-driven corporate social responsibility. Uh, Blagoja has 20 plus years overseeing various design, development, and the launch of quite a few successful projects during his time in product. So uh, without further ado, Blagoja, it's a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Aram. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So the first question is going to, you know, kick to, kick to kick things off is, what would you say are some of um, the bad recommendations you hear often when, you know, you work in the product space? <laughs> you, you hear a lot of these, but um, I think the one that that stands out is um, the data says ABC, so we must do X Y Z. Uh, this is one of those things that. Um, you know, using data as your Bible, and the reality is much more complex than that. And, you know, as, as a PM, you should use data as, as a signal, as one signal, but you also have a lot of other forces that are at play. You know, so, so you have a business objectives, you have product restrictions or sliders and so many other factors. And what, uh, aside from like, the data indicators well like you know you, you said just now that you should look at them but like when are they useful when they're not useful so so looking at data when when you're doing um you know product development is it's an important piece and you, you cannot ignore data um the advice that i see floating is um using it as a as a kind of catch-all and because data shows something, it, it's not always reflective of reality. Sometimes you get um, the data shows a certain aspect, certain results because of factors that you may not be considering. And in those cases, uh, when I say the reality is more complex, you, you also have um, uh, influences from the business. You also have uh, uh, certain pitfalls in the, in the product that may be causing the data to show certain signals that may not be reflective in the true nature. So that's that's why I, I kind of say use the data obviously, and and there's no there's no replacement for data, but that's not that's not all you should look at. Okay, okay, great. Um, and throughout your career, you've you know worked different places, built various different products. Were there any kind of wake, big wake-up call moments after you experienced them? You you know realized you had to change the way you do something or your perspective of thinking. Absolutely, um, this this actually happens all the time. There's constant learning um, adjustments. You're, you're trying out different approaches and so on. Um, one of, one of these moments um, is a time when after shipping a, a feature that was heavily influenced by a large customer, um, you end up having a much lower adoption rate than you expected. And um, when you look back, you know, in, in the B2B space, a lot of times the buyers are not the same as the users, okay? So what that really means is that um, it's, 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 a, it's a delicate situation because you don't always have access to the end, to the end users. And um, not giving enough energy and not enough understanding of the end user and their pain points puts you kind of at a high risk of, of shipping a feature that 
could easily miss the mark. And even, even if the buyer is really asking for it. And so that's a common problem, I think, with a lot of B2B projects where you, you, the actual end user using it might not be your enterprise customer, but um, there's obviously pitfalls there. So from this learning or from that kind of uh, experience, what have you now done differently to combat that? So I, I think it, it, it is our job as, as, as a product managers to, to emphasize and to represent the end user um, even, in, even in the front of the buyer, which is kind of counterintuitive. Um, even if that's not the most intuitive thing, you should always uh, represent the end user of your product. And at the end of the day, we all have a vested interest in, um, in putting our products um, in the hands of our, of our users and, and, and helping them at the end of the day. So that's kind of part of uh, being conscious of it. It's the first thing. And second, actually practicing it. Interesting. Well, what, what would you recommend to product managers as like a, a way to communicate the importance of uh, this to their own decision makers or their leadership who might be thinking, oh, well, like who's paying for this product? Well, it's like this enterprise. <laughs> it, it's, it's a constant battle. So th 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 there's, there's no silver lining here. Uh, really, um, I, I think what matters the most is um, obviously your buyer is, is your first contact. This is your person. This is your champion, whether they actually end up getting your solution or not. Um, so you can't completely just ignore them. Uh, I think the, the, point, the, the, the point that matters the most is... Um, uh, having a um, a relationship with these buyers and 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 help them understand that um, uh, first understand their um, their reasons why they're why they're buying your your solution or your your software um, and showing them that the adoption and the use of the product is in their own interest and, and how the views of the end users are directly impacting the adoption and, and, and the use of the product, it's actually in their interest. So a lot of times these users don't necessarily, don't have that mindset. They're, they're, a business, they're business people. And mm -hmm. it's, it's our job, it's in our hands to, to guide them and help them get there. Okay. All right. And um, uh, I like asking this question, but what what would you say are some things that people never ask you that you wish they did it could be it could be your team it could be uh, an end user yeah um so one one of the the misconceptions about product management in general is that the job is the same across all companies all verticals and that if you're successful in one scenario in one situation you'll be successful in another one as well the fact of the matter is that product management really requires um, different skill sets, different skill sets when you're in an early startup scenario um, where, you know, speed is the most important thing. Um, it requires different, um, um, different skill sets when you're in a more established startup when scale and repeatability is most important versus an established mature product where you're optimizing features and efficiencies are the most important thing. So these three different scenarios actually require three different PM skills, and you would be successful in any of them if you if you kind of fit into that 
um, from from your approach and from your what you bring to the table. Interesting. And what what do you feel? A lot of product directors or managers, VPs of product, do um, often mm-hmm. that won't get them a great product. I think you kind of previously, when we had a chance to connect, you mentioned about it could be a lack of focus, it could be mm-hmm. technical debt, you know, sales driven versus PLG driven. You know, yeah. Um, what, what are your thoughts? I, I think, um, yeah. So. What 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 did they don't do to to get them a great product? Yeah. Um, so I think a, a lot of times they um, asking asking the, the the right questions. That's kind of like the first thing. Um, and um, well, let, let, before I answer that, let, let's kind of define what a great product is, right? Um, a great product is innovative, is it solves a problem, a um, it's easy to use, and and it has emotional value. So if 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 you define that as a great product, then I would say you know not enough product managers push the envelope. There there's always trade off between kind of like your aspirational product and your practical product. And I feel that more often than not, uh, we get stuck in our own glass ceiling where on when it comes to innovation. And why, why do you think that's the case? Why do we hit that glass ceiling? Well, because we have, we have this pressure on, on delivering now. And um, the, when, when the business, um, the, the balance between the immediate, uh, the, the, on the business need to, of today, it, it, it kind of comes at the expense of, of thinking long term and 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 thinking on the long haul uh, big shots and and taking taking kind of moonshots on on um, on other aspects of the product and that's a that's a constant struggle and um, I think we don't take enough moonshots I guess it's my the point that I'm trying to make mm. okay and um, <clears throat> it's always like a, a tricky thing but some SaaS organizations that we worked with or that exist are very, have a sales driven culture, right? So sales basically drives the direction of maybe the product, yep. making a product manager's life quite difficult. Whereas with a PLG approach, you know, it's product driven, right? Um, the product sells itself. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? How do you, how do you manage that kind of, um, conflict or that kind of cultural mindset? Yes. Um, so sales-driven culture um, can can be successful, um, and if, if um, and so product and sales culture can coexist. It, it doesn't have to be one or the other, um, and it really depends on the leadership, and it really depends on on how you you structure your culture and 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 how you structure your business in general. Um, in in companies where you have sales culture as a driver, a lot of times um, um, you can still innovate. You can still uh, lead the product to the promised land. However, um, there has to be a, um, an understanding and alignment that um, y- you don't sell what you don't have. And a lot of times it's very easy to, to fall behind on, on selling a feature that it's coming and, and then another feature that's coming and very soon, like soon 
you you kind of fall into this trap that all you're doing is features that were promised. And and that's that's a very common pitfall when you have a sales-driven culture. Mm-hmm. On the other side, when you have product-led culture, it doesn't have to be product-led growth, but um, you have um, you focus on the product side, on on the big picture and on the bigger problems and and something that you obviously it serves the need for the customers today, but it also can follow, it can grow with the customer base in the long run. And the product, yes, I know people say the product sells itself. The product never sells itself. It's it's the users that use it that sell it for you. And and that's a very kind of very subtle difference, but when we're building products, we make it easy for people to tell their friends and we make it um, intuitive enough and, and emotional enough that they're actually going to go and be champions for you. So that's the case where the product actually is taking a lead and you're, you're fueling growth by, by making your product great. I, I love that. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I use that in the future. Thank you. Um, <laughs> In your time uh, working on, you know, shipping product, what has been some of like biases and decision making you've come across um, that can prevent, you know, product people working effectively? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it really depends on on the situation that you're in, making like meeting like the company stage, the product maturity, and so on. So if you if you take an example in an early stage startup. Um, Putting too much weight on user interviews is, um, it, it, you know, it, it can have a de- detrimental effect on 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 being fast, on on being on shipping some some shipping the right feature. And um, don't get me wrong, I mean, user user interviews are very important, and they, um, but but there's a but, but it only mean, but we we should only use them as means to understand the user, not, not to justify our own bias going in. So the user interviews, are, they should help you um, um, be more empathetic to the user, understand the user, not as a direct uh, result of the, the, the user said, or they want X, Y, and Z, so we should do it because the user said so. Yeah, and on, on that note, um, a lot of product people have this thinking, oh, the user said this, so we should go and build it. Right. As like a product leader, what would you say where it comes to the point of like how much input should really be coming in from the users to drive your product roadmap? I think I think input from the users is critical. <clears throat> uh, and, and kind of to my earlier point, it's absolutely critical, similar to data. Um, but um we should use that input to understand the problem we should not use the input as a directive to go and execute something a feature so um the balancing on putting enough energy and focus on user interviews and understanding your use it should be on the understanding the user not necessarily on on taking face value of the asks of those users okay interesting and um in your, um, I mean, from a decision-making process in terms of bias around user interviews, mm-hmm. uh, 
you could do user of interviews, obviously very early on where it's like in the discovery phase is trying to figure yeah. out what's like a new product to build, or it could be towards when the product is more mature, you're releasing out a new feature. What are some ways that you've kind of counteracted, I would say any biases that come along the way, um, in the, say if it's user interviews. Yeah, I, I think, um, the one way to counter that is, um, is be aware of it. Be, be aware that uh, you can be impartial as you want. We all have a, a bias going in. And um, I think first is just be aware and um, take a pragmatic approach where you kind of separate yourself from, um, from the problem statement and, and take a holistic view of the problem space before jumping in and just um, justifying whatever the user says to to accommodate their own beliefs. Okay. Um, next question I have is about uh, experiences when it comes to building bad product, bad features mm -hmm. that you've probably come across in your career. Um, what are some examples you could share of like, you know, things that were built that were unfortunately wrong or didn't perform well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all go through those. We, we all have them. Uh, if somebody says they don't have it, they're not telling you the truth. Um, yeah. I, I think, um, and I, I think I mentioned this to you. Um, the one example that comes to mind is a time where you have a quick and dirty hack. Yeah, I mean, going in, in an early stage, you're hacking, you're trying to prove, prove a concept. Um, and then very quickly, because things move so fast, this hack turns into an integral part of your product and it just never gets productized. It just never goes in, into the front end of the product. And so, so business moves fast. Um, there's, there's always more important stuff to do. And, and then this hack becomes like an eyesore. And so, uh, what are some of like the ways to combat that, uh, how do you, how do you kind of like prevent from, let's say it I, getting I mean, out of control or building out any more technical? Yeah. Debt? So, uh, I mean, this, a situation like this happens, this is a direct result of, uh, of the product culture and, um, or, or, or the lack thereof, if I can say that, um, you know, not taking scale seriously as the company grows, as the, as the product scales and, and not prioritizing it accordingly. So this is, this is really hard to do. It, it, it's not uh, because there, there's always the business most fast. There's always something to do. And um, you have to um, sometimes make a hard call and hard decision to, to uh, now for, for the, for the good of the product in the long haul. Okay. And um, what, what other kind of product lessons or principles, um, that are true and tested that you keep coming back to at this stage of your, in, in your, in your career? Yeah, there's, I, I have my own kind of guiding principle that guiding principles that I, that I try to stay and focus on and, and keep with me as, as I kind of progress. But, um, there are a few principles that kind of stand out that, that, um, there's three, um, one is provide the best user experience possible. So UX is, um, is kind of, UX touches your users' feelings and how they feel while using your product directly affects how and when 
and, and how much, to what extent they adopt and they use your product. Number two is, principle number two is move fast, build simple yet complete. So what that means is that it doesn't matter how big of a feature it is, it doesn't matter how big the product is, don't over-engineer it. Um, going fast and simple kind of lets you verify a lot of the assumptions that you've made up front bit by bit. And then um, it allows you to correct them fast because, because they're broken down into smaller chunks. And the third principle that, that, I, I, that I kind of go by is focus on your value proposition. Um, a lot of people miss this. Uh, in, 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 and what, what I mean by that is um, don't reinvent the wheel if you don't have to. Um, it's, it's important to understand what is your value prop. And this is what differentiates you. This is where, th this is what you should focus, this is where you should focus your energy. And this is what makes you valuable. So stay within your value prop. Awesome. Um, last, maybe a couple of questions before uh, we get into the fireside format. Um, what, uh, what aspects of product development would you say money can't fix? Yes, money can buy you a lot of things, uh, but um, it will not get you a clear sense of purpose. Um, I, I thought about this and no amount of money can really in the world can, can solve for you not having a clear purpose. Hmm. Unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of products kind of fall into this category out there and we may hit our goals, we may hit our numbers, we may hit our matrix, and we ship great, like good features on the uh, and and that we all set out to do, um, but without really a product vision, uh, without purpose, um, none of it really matters at the end of the day. Um, I was I was watching a clip the other day from I don't know if if you know Simon Sinek I think it's his yeah, name. Of yeah, he, he he was he's your hero. So he was talking about sim the same thought in a, in a very business sense and in a business context. And, and he, he, the example that he gave was just unbelievably good. He was saying that, hey, you go on a trip um, and um, you don't know where you're going. Um, you can set your goals. Hey, I, I want to get in the car. I want to drive 50 miles, 100 miles a day. Um, it, you know, all of that. You can monitor progress. Uh, you may be hitting your numbers. But where are you going? Uh, you know, if, if you're going on a trip without knowing where you're going. So that's kind of the same thing with product. The exact same principles apply to product because without product vision, you, without having a purpose, um, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. Mm. And, and what's your take on the whole uh, launch of products? And, uh, you know, some people is like, oh, I got to launch this product on this date. It's like, why, you know? Uh, it's like, well, that's just like the time that we set out to do it. And then you have to work against it. What's like, what's what's your thought against that, that whole kind of idea? Yeah. I, um, I, I don't like that. Um, <laughs> generally speaking, um, I think dates are for the most part, completely arbitrary. In some cases we do have dates that we must hit because of external factors. I get it. That happens. But in most cases, that's not the case. In, in, in most cases, we set out dates because we think it's going to make us look good. Um, we, 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 we think we should be hitting these completely made up. So 
I think it's it's more important that we ship great product than than hit all the milestones that we thought we would be hitting and um, and kind of compromise and, and take shortcuts on the way just to meet those times. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, but go ahead, let's jump into the fireside format. So the format is I ask a question, try to answer it in one or two sentences. I don't know if I've ever really had anybody to achieve this, but let's give it a, a try anyway. Uh, so the first question I have is how do you ask better questions in product? So first thing, eliminate all the assumptions. I know that's hard to do, but start at the bottom. Um, and just follow this rule and by following this rule, it really opens up your, your box. It allows you to do some original thinking. Okay, great. Um, what have you become better at over the years at saying no to? Well, I, I think with experience, we, we get more comfortable saying no. Um, it's never a good feeling, but it's important to follow your principles. And the first time, the, the first line of no a lot of times can be not yet. And um, let's dig a little bit and let's try to understand what actually, um, what moves us uh, in the right direction. And once we agree on on, on not really making it personal, um, then uh, we can all align on, on the goals and then the no kind of justifies itself. It doesn't have to come from me. It can just come from the discussion that we're having. Okay. Um... That's a weird question, but if you could only work two hours per week, what would you want to focus on? <laughs> uh, this is this is a very difficult question for me to to, to answer. I, I don't I don't know if that's possible for me. Um, I, I've tried to imagine what what this would look like, um, but I'm just coming out blank. <laughs> I, have, I have too many interests that uh, that I cannot really boil my week down to two hours and, um, you know, sorry, I, I, don't, I don't have an exciting answer here. <laughs> no problem, no problem. If you were maybe to do it, if you were to spend two hours a day in a week, so two hours every day, so 10 hours a week, what would you want to focus on the most in, in your product role? Um, so if, if we move this to, let's say, at work on the product role, um, 10 hours, a day, 10 hours a week. Um, I think spending time with, with my end users, um, understanding, um, how they're experiencing the product that, that I'm putting in their hands. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Great. Um, a couple more questions. What's a controversial view you hold that others maybe disagree with you on? <laughs> this is another one of those. Um, I, I actually don't have, I don't hold a lot of controversial views because I fall right in the center a, a lot of times. Um, and it's, it's heavily influenced, me falling into the center, you know, it's heavily influenced by the fact that I, I have a, a level of empathy that helps me understand both sides. And I actually understand both well enough to, to side with either. So um, when it comes to, uh, usually when something is controversial, it, it tends to be on one end versus the other. And I, I just haven't traditionally fall into any edge. Uh, usually I, I stay in the middle. Okay. 
Um, and what is, um, what is one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Cool. Um, okay. So one, the one investment that I made that it, it, it's one of the biggest ones in my life is, um, kind of shaped my last 15 years of my career is the one hour investment that I made by spending it with the Silicon Valley product management association, uh, a meetup. This is like 15 years ago and at, at a recommendation of a friend. And this was at a time when I was kind of searching for inspiration and trying to find my, my career self. Um, so it was the best one hour spent. Uh, so what, so I'm curious now, sorry, what, what, what happened in that one hour? What well, built that up for you? So why, why is this meaningful to me? And why is this a, a really good investment? And, and if you can call it that, you should call it that because I spent one hour, but basically it opened up um, a few light bulbs in my head and, and it opened up the doors for me uh, walking a career into product and that I've completely kind of found myself and, and I enjoy so, so well today. Okay. All right. Awesome. All right. Last question for you. What are some books that you have read that greatly influenced what you do? Okay. So, uh, I think books really shape us, uh, into becoming who we are and three books that I can come off the top of my head. Originals by Adam Grant. I, I don't know if you, if you, if you know that one, um, kind of, it's kind of very thought provoking book that challenges us to think about, you know, champion novel ideas and explore original thinking and that sort of thing. Um, the second book, um, it's Tuesdays with Maury. This is something that I read almost like 10 years ago. Now, uh, it's, it's by Mitch album, I believe. And, um, it's kind of an inspirational novel that, um, a guy meets, meets his, his mentor at his deathbed. And it kind of goes over, um, some of, uh, some of the, um, childhood, childhood moments when, um, you know, this mentor was, was, was helping him grow up. And then the, the last, the third book, um, it's classic. So this, uh, I'm, I'm sure you heard of, um, the alchemist. So by, by Paulo Coelho. Yeah. That's how you say it. Um, so, and, and this is something that kind of teaches just general wisdom, listening to your gut, um, recognizing opportunities, following your dreams, all that. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I think that's a wrap. So thank you so much, Blagoya. It was a pleasure having you on the show, sharing all this information. Mm -hmm.